I hope you've had a wonderful lunch and had some brilliant conversation on the topic of today. Before we move into the question and answer, I would like to draw everybody's attention to Rita over here in the kitchen from Country Kitchen Catering. Rita is leaving, uh, so this is her last day. So if you enjoyed soup for the last many, many Sakpa sessions, uh, that, that was the last taste that you could have. So <laughs> a big shout out. Thank you, Rita, for keeping us well fed. So just uh, looking ahead at next week, our topic is Fair Climate Policy for Canada. Let's follow the science. There will be a Wednesday, March 22nd session starting at 7 p.m. at the Dr. Foster James Penny Building in downtown Lethbridge, as well as here at Country Kitchen Catering on Thursday, March 23rd at noon. And the speaker will be F. Larry Martin, uh, who's a retired civil servant. So stay tuned for that. And a big thank you to Chris Hodgson for a wonderful presentation. Uh, we are going to be moving to question and answer right away. But before I do that, I'll just restate our topic. Using virtual reality technology, what are the benefits and what are the risks? Uh, so I would ask uh, everybody to uh, have questions ready and uh, keep them brief. Uh, we, we are on a tight timeline here. Uh, so keep it brief uh, to one or two very specific questions. And uh, if you could please make sure uh, we are using the microphone here uh, and uh, taking our turn and, and being civil about it. That would be great. And uh, we will uh, continue on. And I'll invite Chris back up here. Hello. Hey, Chris. Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. <coughs> um, having spent most of my professional career as a psychologist, I can see great opportunities here for good and evil. <laughs> um, certainly <coughs> helping people with post-traumatic stress and also doing system Okay, is that better? Okay, um, again, uh, <laughs> as my career as a psychologist, I see opportunities for good and evil, and the good certainly post-traumatic stress disorder, and systematic desensitization, preparing people for uh, experiences that they would be afraid of and slowly preparing for that, that would be very good. But the evil, with the fake news now <coughs> being perpetrated, especially south of the border, I can see that um, this would be an ideal opportunity to present fake news and also to, to do brainwashing and um, all kinds of other things because we are so, as a species, we are so reliant on visual <coughs> that if we've seen something, we believe it. And we know that also we can um, um, change people's thoughts into believing that they've experienced something they haven't. Yeah. So um, how, what, what is the field doing to um, help us not to be duped by fake, by these um, negative uses of virtual reality? Thanks, Thanks. great question. Um, yeah, alternative facts. <laughs> uh, the joys. Okay, so I think, I see it as an opportunity with virtual reality journalism because I see this way of storytelling as being very transparent. Um, you can see who is pulling the strings behind the camera because you can actually see the camera operator right in the midst of that scene. Um, but 
for sure. Um, there's also that element where you think of any propaganda from World War, the World Wars with Nazi Germany, and um, all those videos that tried to convince the whole population that uh, one group was better than another. So for sure, what, what we teach our students when it comes to all this fake news, and we like to just call it lies instead because actually putting news in with there gives it too much credit. So we just encourage a lot of critical thinking amongst our students and uh, there, there's a lot of spin, there's a lot of different positions on different news events out there. So it, it's more than ever going with traditional news sources that you can trust um, for shaping your worldview and um, less looking at those ones that are choosing to take things out of context. I can, if, if I'm going to name drop, I can think of the rebel, rebel media with uh, Ezra Levant here in Canada who is doing a horrible job of uh, calling himself a journalist to begin with, but uh, some extreme views that are, are taking things out of context. Or you think of Fox News in the States. Again, once you start to consume news, looking at things from that kind of worldview, it's going to have a much different perception of, of what you think is correct in this world. Uh, Chris, I did really want to get off on a tangent of fake news, yeah. but how can this, how can this um, technology, um, it seems like we cannot protect ourselves from this technology and its ability to do evil. Um, protecting ourselves. Um, again, with any technology, there's potential for evil. So again, it's, it's a matter of in, in the hands of the right people, again, that we are able to do a lot of positive things. And you talked about post-traumatic stress disorder as being one of those benefits with virtual reality that is actually helping soldiers adjust back to uh, a normal life after being in conflict. So um, it's a challenging question that I could keep on going on and on. So again, it, it's just, I don't know if it's having faith in the people that are developing this technology that they're using it and they're considering the audience because it is so powerful. When you think of advertisers, and I was just talking about this over the break, they are pushing the envelope and talking even about having virtual reality trailers for movies. And there's a, a movie developer, the guy who did the Blair Witch Project was at this conference, and he created a whole trailer for a new horror movie in virtual reality, which is just frightening. And so, it, there may be warnings and stuff right before this is, is played or before you go to that site to actually check it out. But again, <clears throat> until you're actually checking it out, you may not know how powerful this is. So I think, again, it comes back to education. So I, I'm going to keep on going, but I, I may circle back to you. That was a great question. Uh, my name is Van Christou. I'm old enough to remember when I first saw a TV screen live. I was down in New York doing my postgraduate work way back in the 40s, 1940s. At that time, I was really excited about the fact the great potential for education that this medium had was going to present us. Now, I've lived lo long enough to see it turn into an advertising game. I hate to turn the TV on anymore because all I'm going to get is a bunch of advertising. Now, obviously, that advertising works, so they wouldn't be paying a million dollars a minute uh, for prime time. 
if virtual reality is that much better than, than TV, isn't it going to become the big advertising game that's going to brainwash people into buying their goods? And how are we possibly going to avoid that? Um, years ago, Einstein, 40 years ago, Albert Einstein said that if we continue on this track of, of um, uh, this new electronic type of, of, of uh, development that we're getting, we're all going to turn into a bunch of idiots. <laughs> You might be onto something. <laughs> great, great statement. Um, yeah, so it it is it is true that it it is so powerful and immersive in this virtual reality environment that you may not be able or may not want to look away, and it may be working on those other factors that advertisers are already using to trigger us to go and purchase something because we got to keep up with the Joneses down the street who have the latest flat screen TV or the biggest boat in their driveway. So um, always back to education. Uh, that's why I'm really happy to be in this field. But for sure, it's, it's educating the public about how to be critical, use your critical thinking to actually understand the implications, and I and I really like this book by by Shelley, or Sherry Turkle, um, because again, it kind of it keeps that perspective. We're moving so quickly with technology advancing. What are we forgetting about? And it's that simple face-to-face -face interaction and the importance of that face-to-face -face interaction. And if we can continue to remind ourselves, and think of the worst possible outcome for this technology, hopefully. Again, we're using it for good. Great question. Hi, my name is Peter Beal, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about our how, how much robots have replaced the working man. And while education can actually make better futures for people in technology, more and more people are being displaced. They're talking about quite a lot more being displaced in the future. So what I'm wondering is how I'm afraid that virtual reality will just be used as a pacifier of the masses. And lifespans, as people become more sedentary in this, lifespans will be reduced. And it's a great way of getting rid of surplus people that the industry doesn't need. But this is one of my greatest fears. Okay. So, so can you address that a little bit? Yeah, okay. So for sure. Um, Neil Postman is a great media critic, and he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And so he, he was talking about the television and how, in a course of a news hour, you have your announcers who are more celebrities and you care about more what they look like than actually what they're saying. You hear the news that reminds you that it's the top of the news hour. So you have that little jingle and the entertainment that comes with that. And then you juxtapose serious news stories where there's conflicts with people dying with serious tragedies around the world. And you juxtapose that with some fluff story at the end of the hour about little uh, Fluffy, <laughs> the dog, and why he can do 20 flips in a row. So really, it, it's already been happening to us where we're being entertained by our news hour. And it, it can even happen back to our traditional newspapers. People were ticked off when you started adding color to traditional newspapers and th thought it was already you're trying to entertain us or even the addition of photos instead of when people were sketching up mock-ups of, of trials unfolding and things like that. 
photography and then you get to radio has even jingles at the top of their news hour television again the entertainment factor so virtual reality yes it's going to be one more way to entertain us and you you even like with the people who are interested in in developing video games um Again, a lot of them choose not to interact with people because they're so fascinated. They enjoy playing these video games so much. It's that version of escapism. I think no matter what, there's going to be these people who choose not to see what it's like outside and they stay in their homes and they're going to be sedentary and things like that. So if, if you have more platforms like gaming consoles like the Nintendo Wii, where you actually integrate fitness in with video games, then you might be able to start solving things. So then you could get into more virtual reality games that have physical activity integrated into them. And so you can actually help people stay healthy even if they're choosing not to leave their basement. So um, hopefully I, I'm scratching the surface on some of these. These are all great questions. Well, if you have any other ideas, I'd like to hear other people's feedback too. Let's keep on going. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I'm Trevor Page. Thanks for a fascinating glimpse into the future, not too distant future. It caused lively discussion at our table. My first sort of reaction was, well, a virtual reality is an extension of film. Uh, one gets often immersed in films, perhaps not in books, though, where one has to use one's own imagination. Mm -hmm. But I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe it's an extension of that, too. Um, a couple of questions. There's quite a bit of concern about the electronic waves that cell phones cause to our bodies. Yep. Um, one has to assume that these headsets that you put on w w would raise similar concerns. That's one. Um, and there would have to be, if that is so, a regulatory body, both from the health point of view and, of course, from the the mind point of view as well, just as there is in movies. So where do we stand on that? And then the holodeck of Star Trek, how far is that away or is that really beyond uh, the technology that we have or can think about at the moment? Thank you. Thanks. Um, so the first part, and you're talking about uh, whatever kind of electronic waves are floating through these headsets. I haven't seen, again, the technology is going so quickly. I haven't seen the health studies yet to talk about the dangers of having that glued to your face for more than an hour or five minutes. And people talk about how uh, increasing rates of cancer. And I don't know if where the studies stand with our cell phone use and, and things like that. So... Um, again, yeah, it's, it, it, it's definitely a concern. And you think that we may in five or 10 years being, oh, we shouldn't have been doing that. <laughs> and uh, we'll start to learn from these mistakes. And uh, hopefully it won't be too late by that point. But again, it's kind of, um, as technology advances so quickly, um, are, are we doing enough checks and balances? So 
it just makes me want to go off and do some research right now and see where we're at with the health. And then, sorry, the second question was more... Well, a regulatory body, there would have to be, but never mind that one. Get on to the holodeck. Yes, okay, so Star Trek, the next the generation. Holodeck. Yeah, live long and prosper. Um, <laughs> definitely, I think, I think that's right now. It's, it's just a matter that these powerful virtual reality headsets are now being tethered to computers, so you actually can't walk around too much without a court kind of like jerking your head back because you've, you've walked too far forward. Um, but they're coming up with wireless technologies, of course, and there's going to be more microwaves flying through our heads because of that wireless technology or if it's just the extension of Bluetooth technology. Um, so I think, yeah, we're, we're already there with the, the holodeck. It's just a matter of moving around in these spaces. Right now, with these virtual environments, you can be in an environment and rotate in 360 degrees and maybe walk a couple, two or three steps in every direction before you have to jump or transport to the next one. And I, I experienced one where you're on the top of a mountain and you can point your little hand control device over at a mountain over there and then all of a sudden you're over on that mountain and you're at the edge of the cliff and you have that incredible feeling and, and your guts kind of like drop. <laughs> you have those butterflies in your stomach and you look over and it feels like you're on the edge of that cliff and you can hear the wind whistling in your ears and it looks like you're about to fall off a cliff. Um, but again, you're limited by two or three steps in every direction. And so it's transporting or jumping you around in these scenes. And that's happening right now. More and more they're looking at how can you actually be able to move through an environment and down in Utah, they actually there's this company called The Void where they've created an, a warehouse and you walk through like you're one of the Ghostbusters and you get rid of Slimer the ghost and other ghosts as you walk through an actual physical space. And what they, this company has done is they actually have like um, real steam like coming out of a pipe that they've actually physically built into the space. And then you're in the virtual reality headset too. So you see that in the game, but it's also happening around you in that space. And the walls are, the physical walls you see right now are the same ones that you virtually see in the game. And everything is exactly the same, except they throw in ghosts and little things so you can have a little fun, fun game and shooting ghosts. So um, down in Utah, The Void is the company. If you want to check out that website, it's, it's quite fascinating. They're kind of pushing the envelope of recreated virtual ex experiences that are actually based on physical environments. Terry Shellington. Chris, thank you very much for being here and uh, for what you brought. Uh, <clears throat> I actually have two questions. <clears throat> One is about the finances of all this. I haven't heard you mention anything about how expensive these are to make and, yeah. and where that's going. But secondly, <clears throat> and more concerningly, I, uh, my question is, second question is in the area of Van Christu and uh, Bev Mundell-Atherstone who raised some of the the dark side of this. Um, your comment that we need to bring critical faculties to this doesn't exactly do it for me because sometimes these things release emotional undercurrents in us that are completely non-rational. And I was at the hockey game last night, uh, I guess in the third period when a fight broke out, and I watched a young father behind me. He, he had two kids, you know, 10 and 12. I watched him almost transported into another and very violent universe in which he stood up and yelled and almost frothed at the mouth and it clearly released some uh, fury in him that was unrelated to what was going on in the ice or, or unrelated to the proportion of it. And when I think of this tool being used in hate material, for example, or even just um, 
war zones and, um, and um, uh, wrestling material and so on, I see uh, some people being traumatized and undercurrents of uh, skeletons in their personal closet released that, that they don't have critical faculties to manage. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it has a very scary uh, d dimension to it, to me, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's where, yeah, then for sure, it's almost like getting a, a registration for a gun, you also should get that for a virtual reality headset. How strong are we supporting people in our community who have mental health issues? And for sure, you put in uh, put them in a virtual reality environment where it's a video game, but it's a first player shooter game that looks incredibly real because the graphics are so strong. Yeah, I think it comes back to, yeah, definitely some, some mental health, helping these people in our community that, um, who may take these games and may not understand the difference between a game and reality and then start using them for negative purposes. For sure, there's that potential out there. And it exists right now for video games as it is. And, and do we say, are we blaming video games for why there's so many gun deaths in the United States? Or uh, are we blaming it on gun control? <laughs> I don't want to get into all these different topics because we could definitely go there. But um, yeah, and critical thinking doesn't cut it for people who don't understand the difference between what is right and wrong. And yeah, when you see those people react like that at hockey games, extremely disturbing and why they think that's suddenly appropriate in an environment, especially where their children are present, makes absolutely no sense. But I don't, I don't know how I could answer that question. It, it's a great, great point that you bring up. And so lots of things to consider as things are moving so quickly, yeah. Douglas Mitchell, uh, Chris. Uh, I, I want you to know, that in, in light of what, what uh, uh, Van already said, we old people live in a real world. And what you're projecting to us is something we really don't completely understand. My question really, though, relates to addiction, and, and you didn't, stress that too much, I don't think. But I know that there is, a, there are games available which become, in essence, gambling. And I just wonder if you'd like to address the question of how this, these things do affect the, the uh, addiction to them <laughs> and what that does to the individual's concern. Because we're talking about Addiction concerns generally, I think. Yeah. But uh, who's going to handle that? <laughs> Another great question. Okay, so um, when I first started my master's research, I was looking at post-traumatic stress disorder, and I was looking at the idea of empathy, and I was looking at storytelling. And so my master's supervisor, Dr. Gordon Gow at the University of Alberta, said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to dial it in. You got to have some focus. That is way too broad. You're trying to save the world and you're not going to be able to do that in one 50 to 100 page paper. So I narrowed my scope and I'm focusing on storytelling because of my background in journalism. I can relate to that. I can speak to that. I don't have a background in psychology and I don't have a background in neuroscience. But both of those areas, psychology and neuroscience, I'm fascinated with 
the implications, positive and negative, of this virtual reality technology in those fields being used for positive and negative, how it actually affects our brain, good or bad, for um, what's going to come out of this. So I, I want to ask these same questions, and I haven't seen the literature or the stats or any of the information that yet speaks to this. So again, it's kind of like we're bumbling along and we're figuring this out. We're all stumbling along at the same stages, trying to figure this out. And it may be five to 10 years down the road where we say, ah, that's what it does. <laughs> so great questions. Uh, Mary Shillington, thanks, Chris, for being here and uh, presenting a whole different thing for many of us. Um, just a reminder, if you note that uh, Terry had asked the question about uh, finance, yeah. uh, so you maybe come back to that. But as a retired clinical social worker who used uh, EMDR uh, for post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, uh, I wonder, you talked about, about this uh, virtual reality maybe working for people with PTSD. Uh, has there been, it's very new, so I assume there haven't been any studies done. Uh, but I just wanted some clarity about that because uh, EMDR took a long time to be accepted yeah. and we know it works, yeah. but uh, uh, I'm wondering about this technique too. Can you tell us what EMDR stands for? Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So yeah. that you take a, a traumatic image that comes back to you and then you help them in stages to re reprocess that so that instead of being right here when something happens, it moves back there and it, you can cope with it. Great. Um, yeah, I, there has been, uh, I, I saw one paper that related the work in EMDR um, to how it can work and translate into post-traumatic stress disorder and how those two can work in tandem for the benefit. Um, so there, there is a couple um, links out there and I don't know if there's a common um, site or something. If I find some of these things, I can definitely make them available to you because um, it's just fascinating what, what is happening here. As far as the financing and the cost, so you have a whole range of how much these headsets cost. Um, this example is, is a Google Cardboard headset, and all it is, if you think of back to grade nine social studies, at least when I was in grade nine, you have those stereoscopes, and you have the two lenses, and you look at a topographic map, and you have the two lenses, and you line them up, so you get that idea of 3D perspective. And so that's all these things are. It's two lenses, these stereoscope lenses, and so it's simply matching up two different television screens or two different images at the same time, and then it's making them three-dimensional when it meshes those two together with those two lenses. So these are $10, even $5 if you order a whole bunch online. Um, there's a bunch of different groups that are making them now. Google was the first one to to release them, and then the New York Times, to all their subscribers, they released one million to all their subscribers, so then they could check out this virtual reality New York Times app to experience that. Then you have the next step up, which is the Samsung headsets, which are $100, and they're simply a plastic version of this that you strap to your head, and again, you just put your phone into the middle of it, and that's all you do. Your phone, there's Velcro, and you're good to go, and then you're, you're away. Um, and so the Samsung Gear, same thing. All it has is there's a nice little 
connection because it's a Samsung device. So if you have a Samsung phone, it clips in because it has the same little port and then you're connected. And then again, you're viewing it that way. Um, those are $100. Uh, Google just released one, uh, the Google Daydream. I think it's about $100 as well. There's a brand new phone called the Google Pixel that plays virtual reality really nicely. And then you step up to devices like the Oculus Rift, which is about $600. And then you need about a $1,000 to $2,000 computer to back up that kind of processing power. The HTC Vive is another example. So this is like an Oculus Rift. Uh, it's just a fancy one. So you actually get those controllers in your hand. And this started as a Kickstarter campaign from that lady, Nona de la Pena, that I was talking about before. She was just figuring this out um, down at a university in the States. And it was one of her students that actually developed this. And then it went on Kickstarter. And none other than Mr. Z Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook saw it is like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> so they invested a couple billion dollars and bought that Oculus Rift off a Kickstarter website. And now they're being sold for $600 a piece. Um, and the uptake is very slow. Because of that price barrier, people are like, eh, I'll wait a year or two. Things are changing so quick. Why should I bother shelling out that much money? But there's, there's small numbers out there of people who have purchased these headsets. And that VRcade is, is one of them who've purchased about, I don't know how many they have in there, about 10 different setups with a computer, with a processing power. So you're, you're looking at about $3,000 for a setup. Um, and then you're good to go. And so from there, that's, that's kind of where, where the technology sits these days. And then as far as filming it, that um, 360 degree camera that we're using for the mock disaster, those cost about $500 each, which is not too bad. And then you just need a phone so you can view it on there. And you can spend up to $10,000 on 360 degree cameras if you really want. But again, things are changing so quickly, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do that. You think of those small GoPro cameras, those are also $500. What they've done is create something that looks kind of like Sputnik, those, the Russian satellite, and it has about six of these GoPro cameras all mounted to this one device. And then you can film in 360 degrees, but then it's a pain in the butt because you have to stitch all those videos together afterwards. So anyways, I could keep on talking forever. <laughs> all right, so we are going into the last couple minutes of the session today, so if we have one more quick question. My name's, my name's Robert Smith. I have, yeah, it's a quick t technical question. Um, <coughs> I'm wondering if virtual reality TV is even practical. Um, in terms of the bandwidth required, HGTV already takes a few, several TV channels. I'm not sure how many. VR is going to take even more. I don't know how much. Can you tell us how much? Roughly? Well, well, it just looks. Look at what happened with 3D television. That was a flop because nobody wanted to put on those goggles to experience 3D television, and it was making people nauseous. Um, again, these things are very individual. They're not social in nature yet, but they're talking about using people from all over the world. If they all have this, they can all join 
and have a virtual conference and pretend that they're all in the same room together. And then when you start adding those social aspects, that's one thing. But to actually have a virtual reality television, again, we're not there yet outside of these individual experiences. So you can't go into a room and play a virtual reality video and everybody can enjoy it. You need to have one of these headsets on everybody's head for them to enjoy it or Google Cardboard for them to enjoy it. So it's, it's again very individualistic in nature and that's why it hasn't had the great success in the, the large uptake. Where it has been successful is places like on Facebook and YouTube where they simply play these 360 degree f uh, videos and you just move your phone around. You don't even need a headset. You can move your phone down, up and around and look all around you and you're just acting like that headset and you don't even need that and and that's where the biggest uptake is because then you just get to experience that that way and it's very inexpensive because a lot of people now have smartphones in their pocket so that's that's where the widest adoption is happening so youtube and facebook and those areas so excellent well thank you so much chris for a wonderful uh,